Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10am service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Now this morning, we're going to look at, um, just wrap up this uh, list of giftings. And uh, we're probably going to deal with one of the most controversial, sadly, from uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 5, 13 and 19, and 39 and 40. As Paul wrote to his very fractured and competitive friends at Corinth, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. This is publicly... For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whoops, (laughs) be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. This wraps up the... um, teaching on, the, on spiritual gifts. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 outlines a whole lot. 1 Corinthians 14 focuses on tongues and interpretation. But 1 Corinthians 13 focuses on the love that binds everything together and releases everything. What are these spiritual gifts? We've worked on this basic definition. Spiritual gifts are special abilities the Holy Spirit gives to all believers so we may be fulfilled and be effective in the church and in our wider world because the church is not meant to live for itself. Let's have a look at the gift of music. A few things that music does. It raises our worship to awe and reverence, even for the tone deaf, which is great. I used to sing in a choir because there's safety in numbers, but uh, you know, it's just great. Music communicates. It bridges. I, um, if you've seen that movie Paradise Road, we're in the uh, Japanese prison of war camp for women. The ladies got together and started to vocalise some of the more famous orchestral music because they had no instruments. And it bridged across to the guards. Uh, a friend of mine from the Salvation Army mentioned once how a Salvation Army prisoner of war in Germany started singing 
a uh, Salvation Army song to find the guard joining in. Music bridges across in ways that words alone can't. Ian, do you feel welcome after that little burst? I should have... Anyway, I'll ask for forgiveness rather than permission. (laughs) Okay. God delights in our praises, even if it's just a joyful noise. And there are specific Old Testament ministries. Now, time is a bit bit pushed for us, but um, you you look at 1 Chronicles 15, 19, 22, 2 Chronicles 29, 30, 33 and 30, uh, 34, 12, or pick any of the Psalms. We are a bit pushed for time, but as Kermit the Frog says, time's fun when you're having flies. Uh, let's, <laughs> and if you look at the New Testament, it's just a general gifting, general expressions of opening our hearts in praise to God. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Colossians 3.16. Now there is a caution here that we need to be careful of. We need to discern the difference between natural talent and God's anointing. Because sometimes God will anoint somebody with a musical gift they haven't been trained in. But that gift will need practice and training and maturing. But if people are just there to present a great uh, performance, uh, my friend from the Salvation Army says he can tell when a, a secular brass band is pray, playing a hymn tune and the Salvation Army band is playing the same tune. Such a depth in the subtleties and the insights from the Salvation Army band, whereas the other guys are playing the notes. Now some of them may be Christians, but it's not an offering to God. There's a, there is a difference. But let's also remember that we can get a little oversensitive about music styles. George, you're late. Oh, no, no, you're not. <laughs> Let's welcome him, eh? <laughs> you, you're getting over to the Myra section. There's not as much room for you this week, mate, but... <laughs> Here we go. You're on a roll. <laughs> This is another example of the bridge, isn't it? Beautiful. Now, my dad was trained in classical music and hated guitars in church, you know? But, you know, centuries ago, organs were considered an instrument of the devil. How about that? But let's remember, too, there's no such thing as Christian music. It's only the lyrics and the presentation of a Christian. You know, sounding like a Salvation Army folks this morning. General Booth started off the Salvation Army using the pub tunes with Christian lyrics. Now, I've gone a little bit further because the Salvation Army doesn't have baptism. They have dry cleaning. (laughs) But let's remember, it's, it's the presentation and the expression of God's grace through the music, that's the key. Not the music itself. Now we move to a little bit of controversy, which is fading now, thankfully. Speaking in tongues and interpretation. The different references there, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 8, 26, and 1 Corinthians 14 and 2. 
What is this gift? Some of you have heard it, some of you never have. Some have been warned against it, but we'll deal with that in a moment. But to speak in tongues is to spontaneously use an untaught human or heavenly language. Now, privately, when our English or our native language just can't convey the depth of our response to Jesus' love. And it can happen publicly as a fresh, direct message from God, but further down into 1 Corinthians 14, it's at invitation, not as some verbal avalanche. To speak in tongues for some people is an uplifting sense of ecstasy. I've never felt that myself whenever I've spoken in tongues. But I've found that it relaxes me in a time of stress or confusion. When I'm counselling people and I just can't get a handle on what, what the direction of the conversation is going, I'll just quietly pray in tongues for God to give me an insight to either ask the question that will lead the conversation a little further or for God to anoint the person I'm counselling with a fresh insight. And no big hoo-ha, no big uh, musical thrash, but it's to speak mysteries to God who intercedes and understands. And that's the emphasis of Romans 8.26 where we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit understands and intercedes for us before God's throne with sighs and utterings that, that can't be verbalised or can't be articulated. Now the importance of this gift, it keeps us alert to God's freshness in our faith and in our joy. Now it is equal value to prophecy when it's interpreted by others or by the speakers themselves. As uh, Paul said, I'd rather you speak, whoever speaks in tongues needs an interpreter. Who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless somebody interprets and that way the message is complete in a way that people can understand. Now the interpretation is not by studied translation, it's by an impulse to speak out some word that God brings to us. Now, Major Ian Thomas is a very, well, probably gone to his reward now, but a great Keswick Convention speaker. He had a very succinct way of healing the gap and the division. And he said, some say you must speak in tongues to be saved. Others say you must not. The Bible simply says you may. And this is how it should be conducted in a public way. Now the challenges here is that it's not the first or only sign of being filled with the Spirit. Along with knowledge and prophecy, it's only temporary until the New Testament or the perfect is compiled. Now that was the big um, thing I grew up with when uh, confronted with this resistance to any Pentecostalism because the, the New Testament was the be-all and end-all and that was the perfect. 
but our knowledge and our understanding are not yet perfect. The perfect coming is when Jesus comes himself. Our understanding and our knowledge will be complete when Jesus returns and we become his perfect bride with no more spots or wrinkles or blemishes. In the meantime, look around here, any church, you'll find spots, wrinkles, blemishes, a whole bunch of imperfect people being filled and absorbed by a perfect God with his graciousness and um, his invitation to keep growing. Now, I don't know if anybody's got any questions about this. I know it's, it has been controversial, but as I said, the controversy is fading now. In fact, I've got um, Pentecostal pastor friends who say that hardly anybody speaks in tongues publicly in their worship. You know, it's not such a big deal anymore. Another thing I did mention, I didn't mean to mention, um, for people, as lady I know who has dementia, a beautiful Christian lady, she's in her, uh, hedging up to 80s now, but she's losing her capacity to remember what she wants to say and it's very frustrating for her. And she said, it's so hard when I want to pray. I said, well, just relax and let God shape your tongue. He knows your heart. You don't have to impress him with verbiage, with articulation, but just to relax. Let him direct your mind and your tongue so that you can fall more and more in love with him. Ministry avenues for this. Privately, as I mentioned in the um, personal issue, sometimes to open a grasp of a difficult scripture or personal issue, to relax in God during sleeplessness or stress. Now, insomnia is nothing to lose sleep over, but I find that uh, if I can't sleep, I just relax and just let God order my mind, order my tongue, and it just helps that relaxing because while you're trying to think of stuff and concerns weigh on you, it really interferes with sleep. But to recognise that God is in control and he doesn't need our wisdom or clarification. So we can step further into the joy of God's love and presence for us. And in private use, there's no need for any interpretation. In personal ministry, as I mentioned, discerning God's direction in a counselling challenge or in discerning unusual prayer requests. A friend of mine says God's got a couple of different answers for prayer. For sometimes you'll say yes, sometimes you'll say no, sometimes you'll say what? <laughs> and if we can't shape what um, we need to pray, then we just relax and let God direct our thoughts. In public ministry, as uh, pointed out in those verses in 1 Corinthians 14, when a leader calls for fresh messages from God, short messages are required with each message to be interpreted in turn. And if there are no interpretations, no more messages. Uh, it used to be uh, a bit of a, an accusation that anybody who spoke in tongues, you know, they were just losing control. But in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 32, it says, The spirits of the prophets 
are subject to the prophets. And let's remember that God's glory, not ours, is the goal. Now, cautions, I guess we've been around a while, we know that there can be problems if it's mishandled. It can prompt divisions. It's true, too, that some demonic or psychological cults practice this via hysteria or trances, yet it can't be wiped out as demonic in itself. Uh, Matthew 12, 32 talks about Jesus rejoicing in the spirit. And it also is no shortcut to spiritual maturity or authority. Any questions? Comments? If you're throwing tomatoes, please take them out of the tins, otherwise they really hurt. Uh, no? Okay. Let's move on to our final gift, and I don't know if I can teach you much about this one, hospitality. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says, Don't neglect the opportunity to show hospitality because some have entertained angels without knowing it. And let's remember that uh, large, impressive mansions are not necessary. We, uh, I've enjoyed overnight hospitality for a couple of the f- folks here and when I've um, been late of a Monday night, they're coming back on a Tuesday rather than head back towards Ballarat and then come back in the morning. Um, I just appreciate those offers of hospitality. Thank you very much. But open hearts and open homes so people find God's acceptance. And hospitality is a gift of making people feel at home even when you wish that's where they were. Okay? The important factor is Hospitality is more than lavish entertaining. Now, this church, morning teas, incredible. Um, yeah. I'm going to miss the morning teas when it's time for me to ride off into the sunset. The uh, Filipiana night, you know, the, oh, the one I missed. What was the last one? The high tea, sorry, yes. Just... Uh, the Christmas in July, fantastic. Now, you know so much about hospitality as a fellowship. Could I point out one particular hurdle I've found, and that is to be really hospitable. Don't be afraid to wear a name tag because that helps visitors know who they're talking to. Okay? Now, I've got a good memory for names, even if I get the wrong one. But... Um, <laughs> Um, it's, it's been great to sense you're welcome, but uh, I've been trained to learn people's names, and some I haven't quite got right even still, but for people who are just coming in for the first time, a, um, a name tag is a great help for them. Open homes arise from open hearts, and... Um, To be hospitable is to seek to make planned or unexpected guests feel more accepted than impressed. Now, over the last four Sundays, I've been talking about how to um, understand what we do. Next week, I'm going to focus on understanding who we are and the blessings. You know, people get put into boxes. I remember... When I had a year working with Scripture Union, I was interviewed by the um, council 
And one lady said, now, now, what box should we put you in? And I thought, well, is this some front for a funeral agency or not? <laughs> but, you know, it's so easy to find people to put into boxes, different predictable set rules and places. I prefer to see the different varieties of people we are as bases to grow from, not boxes to hide in or to be consigned to. So that will be part of, as I'm going to call the message, blessings out of the box. Okay? Let's pause to pray and I'll get the music team to come up. And thank you for your indulgence of letting me hit you with just a bit more information. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to relive our own baptism or to anticipate it as we've seen George respond with joy to your call. We thank you for your presence with us even still and we pray that you'll help us to see ways where we can use the gifts that we've been looking at and also to recognise where those gifts are in others around us so that we may affirm them and also receive your affirmation through others as they indicate gifts that we might suspect or not even notice. Thank you for your love to make it possible for us to change the world by your grace, by your truth and by your, the power of your love. Amen.